funny how? It'd be funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Silver Screen Video, and we have a hell of a guest this week, an episode we are excited to get out. This is Jonathan, here with my co-host Jacob. Jacob, tell the people who we have. We have the one and only Justine Perez-Smith. She is a great uh, critic and writer. Um, I tell you what, this was a great fucking episode. This might be one of our best guest episodes we've ever done absolutely we do a good deep dive into john cassavetes justine schools us a little bit she's currently she was reading the book we recorded this a while ago we got a little bit backlogged with our guest um so we've been we've been looking forward to getting this one out so uh yeah man it's quite the conversation about john cassavetes and digging into his psyche a little bit and uh, yeah, it's really uh, it's definitely one of my favorites we've done so far. Yeah, definitely. Uh, me and me and John, we have some uh, philistine like opinions on John Cassavetes and Justine sets us straight. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. And guys, if you are interested, be sure to check out our Patreon. We have made some changes. We have a few different tiers now trying to mix it up a little bit, incorporate some TV talk. Uh, so the link will be in the show notes, also on all of our social media. But just in case you don't want to look it up, Jacob, where can they find that? Patreon.com slash silver screen video. Um, yeah, we got silver screen. I, I tell you what, we're doing the silver screen after dark Godzilla series, watching all the um, the Criterion Godzilla collection, uh, which is a lot of fun. Also doing silver small screen video. Uh, which where we're watching uh, Mad Men, uh, which is one of my favorite shows and a show John hasn't seen in a while. So it, um, it it's a pretty fun dynamic. And uh, $3 gets you one of those, the Silver Scrub small screen video, and $5 you get both. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good uh, – It's a, we're having a party over there. So check it out if you're interested. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, because we heard you guys about TV – and uh, we are, you know, happy to find a way to incorporate it. And I'm not sure if Jacob wanted that, but, you know, we twisted his arm a little bit. So um, look, it's Mad Men, so I'm all good. Uh, yeah. So basically uh, what that means is when we come time to pick another show, he's out. Uh, so <laughs> spoiler alert. So uh, you ready to get to it? You got anything to add? No, let's uh, let's get to this. Uh, this good episode we've got. Okay, guys, we hope you enjoy this John Cassavetes discussion. Thank you for hanging out here at the Silver Screen video. We'll see you next week. Folks, our guest this week is a great film critic and writer. Uh, you can find her work at Little White Lies. Hyperallergic, uh, Cult MTL, and RogerEbert.com. Please welcome to the show, Justine Smith. Hi, Justine. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Justine. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Uh, digitally. Virtually. Virtually, yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's uh today we are going to be talking about uh John Cassavetes uh who I think is uh you know I don't know he he's definitely a favorite I feel like of of a lot of people but uh I still feel like uh his work is kind of underseen you know I mean Criterion released the five movies of his you know a few years ago and then they just released Husbands um so yeah, I don't know. Talk about John Cassavetes a little bit, Justine, and why you uh, were interested in, in in talking about him. I mean, like a lot of people, I love John Cassavetes, and I really feel he's the kind of filmmaker who you can revisit at different times of your life and have a completely different reaction to. Mm. Uh, he, of course, began as an actor, um, and then realizing that there weren't a lot of roles or the kinds of films that he wanted to see. He undertook creating his own filmography. Uh, He's credited often as kind of like the godfather of American independent cinema with movies like Shadows and Faces. And he kind of maintained like a double life as a supporting Hollywood actor and a completely, like for lack of a better word, insane independent filmmaker uh, making a lot of films in particular with his wife, Gina Rollins. Now, John, what about you? Where does, uh, where does Cassavetes fit into your kind of uh, uh, cinematic coming of age or, or does he at all? Um, he started to, whenever I realized what an influence he was on Martin Scorsese, who is my favorite director. Um, Scorsese speaks very highly of him. Uh, he was a huge influence on him. So that kind of, steered me down the path of Cassavetes. I still feel like I'm underseen on him. I've probably seen maybe eight of his movies, but uh, I'm not even entirely sure how many he has. I just feel like I'm underseen. I feel like he has quite a few films. I think he only um, has about 10 or 12 movies. Um, oh, so maybe I'm not as underseen as I thought. Yeah. Um, What's interesting is about Cassavetes is I actually watched his son's movies long before I ever saw my first Cassavetes movie. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Because I had no idea, like, The Notebook and Alpha Dog and John Q, like, The Other Woman, all those movies were were his son. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, you made me watch Alpha Dog um, uh, a long time ago, and uh, I hated it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I remember you hating it. I have no idea why. Um, It wasn't a bad movie, but whatever. Just seeing I remember. Alpha Dog, the Nick Cassavetes classic. <laughs> no, I do remember when it came out, though, and uh, I knew a few friends who were like over the moon for it. So maybe one day. There's also no reason for that sarcasm when you introduce <laughs> the movie, Jacob. Uh... <laughs> I'll say this. I'll say this. Anybody who hasn't seen Alpha Dog, uh, Justine included, uh, walk, don't run. Uh, <laughs> huh. To go see it. Um, I'm looking at his filmography right now. We've got uh, John Q. Um, good Denzel performance, but I can't say that's a great movie. Um, it's not a it's not a great movie, but Denzel was great as always. Uh, the Notebook. I think The Notebook is is kind of a classic. Um, yeah. So Nick Cassavetes, uh, long long shadow there uh, to for him to grow up in. Um, so, uh, Justine, uh, let's talk about, um, you know, he doesn't have that many movies kind of available to watch. So I know we didn't plan on, on really talking about Shadows, but I actually have not seen Shadows. 
and I was wondering if you if you have seen it and and how you can recommend it or, or if you can recommend it and and what you think about it. I mean, I actually watched it for the first time fairly recently, so um, I I don't like it necessarily as much as its later films. It's very rough around the edges, which I think is part of the appeal. But I'm not necessarily sure that that is entirely what he would have liked. If he could have had a bit more money, I think he would have 100% taken it. Um, And it's a very, like, New York movie about a light-skinned Black woman um, and a relationship she builds with a white man who I don't think really understands that she's not white. And it's very much of this, like, backdrop of jazz and, like, this chaoticness that you kind of see in all of Cassavetti's work. I think that it definitely kind of has that for first film, you feel like what interests him and like the kind of voice and this like completely kinetic energy. It's just like, almost feels like it's like going to explode. Like, I feel like that is this kind of undercurrent of all his movies. These people who are just like at the edge, like their emotions are not buried deep. There's so much on the surface. And so it does feel so modern too, even though it's from the 1950s, you kind of feel like this movie could have been made today, obviously with some like social political changes, probably. Interesting. John, have you ever seen, uh, have you ever seen uh, uh, Shadows? I have not. And I was actually just looking at his uh, IMDb and um, yeah, apparently like I've only, I haven't seen Shadows and I haven't seen... um, there's one other one I have, Mini and Moskowitz. Aside from that, I've actually seen all of his other films, so I guess I'm not as underseen. For some reason, I thought he had like 20 movies. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm wrong. I don't think he could get that much um, off the ground, uh, really. Um, uh, now, we actually just recorded an episode uh, with uh, someone where we talked about Faces, uh, with Scott Hamra, actually. Um who is, uh, it was a really good episode and I don't know if it'll be out by now, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we talked about faces from 1968. Um, what are your thoughts on faces, Justine? I mean, faces is one of the films that i I think it's actually the first Cassavetes movie that I did watch. And I will have to say that I don't think I've seen it since. Mm. And I watched it pretty early in my kind of film exploration, Um, so I was probably in my early twenties and I don't think I fully understood the movie. I was really taken by like the faces of the people. Um, I think that's kind of what I find so appealing about John Cassavetes is it's so primal and American. Like what I love about American movies, even in Hollywood, as glossy as they can be is like just looking at people in close-ups and like that movie is like so close up, uh, And I mean, it's one that I would have to watch again because like even just rewatching some of these three films, like I'm like, oh, I'm seeing them in a completely new light. I would have to believe that rewatching Faces would be a completely different experience like 10 years later. Right, right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough watch, you know. Um, It's uh, such an ugly movie. Like it's just such like, I think when we talked about it with Scott, I said it was like there was no pleasure in watching it because it was just this like maniacal like breakdown of a person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing Cassavetes does really well with relationships is he, he has such an underlying menace, sometimes not so much on the underlying. Yeah. And uh, you really, 
you really get that a lot. And in faces, it was so heavy. Like it's, it's by far of all the ones I've seen, it's, it's probably the heaviest one when it comes to handling a, a purse, a character and their marriage. It's uh, it's by far the outside of woman under the influence, which is a whole different ball game. Right. I mean, um, I've been reading uh, Cassavetes on Cassavetes by Ray Carney. Um, I've been in preparation for this and it's a good excuse because I've had it forever. And I mean, as a person, Cassavetes was often described as someone who was very provocative and he was always kind of pushing people and teasing people to the point where most of them kind of had a very uh, loose grip on whether he was playing or acting or behaving. So from my memories of faces and kind of hearing you guys talk about it again, it's like, I think that that is a part of who he is. And he really had this intense desire to kind of shake people out of conformity and to shake people out of like their situation. But doing that is also like, is very difficult to kind of engage with because it's, it's so contrary to like how most of us want to live. Most of us want to be comfortable. Want us, most of us want to be happy. And I don't necessarily think that that was like John Cassavetes ultimate goal, uh, which feels so like out of touch with society in the past, like hundred years, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well, you know, that, that exactly what you're talking about. I feel like it, it's carried over a lot in, um, of the first of the three movies that we're going to focus on today, which is uh, Husbands from 1970. Um, and I, uh, you know, recently released on Criterion, uh, I had never seen Husbands uh, before watching it uh, for this episode. And, uh, you know, I, I saw an interview with Peter Falk and, and Gina Rollins on, uh, on the Criterion channel and, and Peter Falk was like, <laughs> I fucking hated Husbands. Like, he was like, I hated my experience filming it. And like, I was just miserable the whole time. And like, I didn't know if I wanted to come back and do Woman Under the Influence. And and then he was like, finally, I called him back and was like, all right, fine, I'll fucking do it. Because like, I need another crack at this. I need another crack at this kind of, you know, Cassavetes directed, uh, uh, you know, movie and performance and stuff. And um, I don't know. Husbands, husbands is a wild one. Uh, what's uh, enlighten us, uh, Justine, with uh, some of that Cassavetes on Cassavetes uh, uh, goodness from Husbands? I mean, Husbands was like a shit show, for lack of a better word. Like in terms of production and in terms of distribution, it just like everything went so right for him. Um, it's kind of his first quote unquote studio film. Uh, he got a lot of money. He got a lot of like buzz. And then he almost purposefully kind of destroyed all of that. Um, there was an early cut of the movie that uh, was shown to Columbia producers who loved it. That that cut basically made it into a comedy. I believe, I can't remember the editor's name right now, but I think he may have edited like the Lavender Hill Mob and a bunch of those like British comedy classics. Right. And they're like, this movie is going to be amazing. It's so funny. It's so charming. And then like almost, a, I think it took him a year to re-edit his version, which I think the first cut was like three and a half hours. And then he cut it down to two and a half hours. And I think that's the one that he showed to Columbia, which when they watched it, um, they were really mad. They said that he had <laughs> sold the movie to them on false pretenses and they demanded he re-edit it, but I believe in the contract it said that he had final cut. 
and they decided that it would probably be easier to bury the film entirely, so not release it, than to try to sell this. They just had no idea what to do with it, really. Right. Now, I, I, I hear, I, I, it seems like I read somewhere that, like, there was a version of the movie that was kind of a conventional comedy. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the one they showed to Columbia, and that's they, they bought the film based on that edit that was okay. not edited by Cassavetes. Um, and, then, and then the three and a half hour one came later? Yeah, like a year later. He also spent like a year editing after okay. that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, because I, I did some reading about it, and they said that like Husbands was essentially the, like that version of Husbands, the original version uh, that wasn't edited by Cassavetes, that was basically like a like a, a proto like uh, old school, you know, or the hangover or um, they they said like, it was like uh, animal house that it was like uh, it, it would have created essentially the genre of like the buddy, you know, comedy where they just get into all kinds of hijinks and, and drink a lot and stuff. And that audiences loved it. And Cassavetti has just completely dismantled it yeah. and turned it into something completely different, which, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'd like to watch that version of the movie. I, I, I yeah. wish that existed somewhere. I do too. I mean, as far as I understand, two scenes that are very notably absent from that one are the vomit scene and the singing scene, which are also the two scenes that are very long and yeah. at the time of the film's release, especially testy for audiences, which right. I, I, I understand why. Um, and you could also see why removing those sequences might really changed the tone of the entire movie. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. John, what did you think about husbands? Um, it's my favorite Cassavetes movie. And I think, I think it might be his best to me. I loved it. I sometimes it's not, sometimes it's hard to watch, but I mean, it's definitely up my alley in terms of a lot of things in the story and how it deals with life and death and getting old and, and a lot of shit that he went down in that movie. And uh, I loved it. I think Peter Falk is amazing. I think he's he's like, it's funny, before I started watching Cassavetes, I grew up watching Peter Falk as Columbo. So oh, it's yeah. like, I had no idea he even was a part of, of like being in some of these amazing movies like this and Woman Under the Influence um, until I was older and started watching Cassavetes. So it was interesting to see that side of, of him because obviously in Columbo, it's a very different character. <laughs> yeah. You know, let, I mean, let's talk about Peter Falk in this movie. I, I think he's, he, he's so, you know, self-loathing and so, you know, kind of has this hang dog, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, persona and face and, and just kind of the way he is just kind of, you know, shuffling around and and especially when you know opposed to the kind of uh uh charming uh you know cassavetes and the kind of american psycho-ish uh, ben gazera uh but yeah i don't know his performance is so uh i don't know self-loathing and especially it kind of comes to a head whenever he you know is in london with the his you know uh date for the evening uh, for lack of a better word um. Yeah, I don't know. What do we think about Peter Falk's performance? There, there's something so kind of abject about it, uh, in a way. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very underrated performance because it's so, like, compared to John Cassavetes and Ben Gazzara, I think it's not as showy. Right. And there's, it really is rooted in this insecurity. And he kind of manages to avoid so many of the obvious pitfalls of an insecure character. And yet it comes through so strongly. Right. Um, I think that, like, watching the movie over several times, you kind of see the way that he kind of likes to align himself with another man around him. Like he also has the least amount of interaction or the least amount of comfort with women in the film, at least from what I can tell. Right. Right. And he tries to like build himself up, not as an individual, but as like a part of a team. And I think once he's kind of on his own, he kind of loses all sense of self and like just spirals. And it's a very, again, it's like, it's a quiet spiral in context of such a, like, for lack of a better word, loud movie, um, with a few exceptions, like, um, again, the singing sequence where he starts to, like, take off his clothes, which feels, I think it only works in that context of, like, a performance. Like, his character is also performing in that moment of, like, I'm going to win the respect of my peers or something like that, which, again, it doesn't feel rooted in confidence. It still feels rooted in this, like, I need to prove my worth somehow right. in this sequence and he's just not quite sure how right um you know it reminds me of have you guys seen uh mikey and nikki the elaine may movie i haven't yet i like i have it uh i was planning on watching it this week too but i didn't have a chance so i'm gonna see it soon yeah john have you seen that yeah i actually watched it on your recommendation probably oh. like a year ago oh okay yeah it's um i i think that movie is a masterpiece and you know, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know. I have my controversial opinions about Cassavetes. I think we'll we'll get into at the end. But, you know, Peter Falk's performance in, in that movie is very similar to his performance in this movie. But there's a lot more uh, structure around it. You know, mm-hmm. it, like like, when, like the, the scene you were just describing, I completely get what you're saying. But even describing it, you kind of have to do some extra explanation to explain it, you know, like he's taking his clothes off. Well, you just know, you don't understand. You'd have to see it, you know, like it's, yeah. it's self-loathing. It's trust me. Like it, it, it may not hear, sound like it when I describe it, but it definitely is. Whereas in Mikey and Nikki, there are, there's a specific scene, which I won't mention where his self-loathing really reaches uh, kind of a, a, a cracking point. And it's, it's, it's structured around the story and around like the plot happenings as opposed to in husbands where it's just kind of happens out of nowhere. Almost it's, it's, it may be a cliche to say, but it's performance driven in the Cassavetes movie, whereas it's story driven in the Elaine May movie, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean the, like after the fact, like reading about it too, it's like, I think that Peter Falk really struggled. Like as you kind of like alluded to, like in that interview, he does like, he did not have a good experience on the film because right. he really wanted structure and he wanted Cassavetes to tell him what to feel, not necessarily what to feel, but like, what are the motivations? What is the backstory of this character, which John Cassavetes does not do. And he, he not only does not do it, but he kind of throws, throws it in your face that he won't do it. Right. Uh, he treats a lot of things as competition. And um, I mean, you kind of get that sense. I find a lot of like, I love movies about male friendship because I find mm-hmm. it, weird. I find it like something that I obviously don't experience. I I have male friends, but it's not the same thing. Right. 
And I mean, there's so much unresolved tension between the friends that I kind of feel a lot of it is coming from the production and how difficult it is or isn't. Right. Um, I mean, on the other hand, apparently Ben Gazzara really thrived under these circumstances, more or less. It was still stressful for him, but he seemed to kind of embody it a bit more and did enjoy kind of like the laissez-faire attitude. Laissez-faire is not the right word because Cassavetes is very demanding, but right. he, was, he was happy to be like, okay, I'm going to go in my corner and I'm going to figure out what the scene is about for myself. Right. Right. Yeah. John, you were telling me that you liked uh, Gazera's performance in this. What, I don't know what, uh, how would you characterize his character in this? Um, Cause he's kind of a absolute psycho uh, in a way. Yeah, no, I think it's a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> he, uh, I don't know, man. There's just something about it. Like it, it's when I watch a movie like this, it's not even a matter of like the reason I think it's so awesome is because everything that happens in like there's some pretty shitty stuff that happens in this. He's insane. He's abusive. Um, but there's just something about it that kind of draws you in. Mm. And I think all of their, there are moments where it's like heartbreaking. There are moments where you can kind of take a step back and laugh. I mean, I think Cassavetes does a good job throughout the film, not just directing, but also acting of like keeping you on this uneven ground of not knowing what to expect from Peter Falk or what to expect from Ben Gazzara. Like right. he just, he did a, a really great job. I mean, that scene that goes down in the house is like one of the most fucked up scenes of the whole movie. Mm. Yeah, especially when they when they get out and he's like, eh, everybody's clocked their wife every once in a while. Yeah, and what like, the fuck? Good God, no! What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, I guess it was the seventies. I don't know, uh, but it was a really dark scene, and they were all so casual. And and the same thing happened when they traveled. Like they they were sometimes really casual um, with like certain areas of like misogyny and other things that it was just like, yeah, this is just the way it is. So I mean, there's not a, there's not like a lot of there's no lovable characters. There's no characters that like sure. uh, that that are warm. But I guess that's what makes it such an interesting movie. Yeah, I think that's kind of my why I love this film so much. Um, is that I I do kind of feel love towards them in a way that's like very unhealthy because they're not very redeeming. It's just it's like you could people who are trying so hard to kind of express what they feel about the world and not being able to do it, I think is so relatable. And obviously I'm like, when I say like love, it's like, you're like, I feel deeply for them. I feel deeply for this, like Mm. almost like, like destructive desire to like find a place in the world. And I think like, I think that to me, the the best performance though, they all work together is also Ben Gazzara, I would say, because he, you really feel as a, as his character, as like Harry, as a person is like, I do what I'm supposed to do. I live the life I'm supposed to live and I'm charming and I have a good job and I'm handsome and everything is supposed to work. And the second things don't work. It's like, his whole sense of self collapses and he just kind of seeks to destroy things in a way that again is not like, I love the comparison to American Psycho because I feel like that's so on point. And yet like, it's like take American Psycho and remove the murder. Right. And you kind of have Ben Gazzara's character because he's just so destructive. Um, and even that scene, 
sorry, the scene at the house when like he goes in, like uh, Peter Falk, his character says, oh, he's gone into the house because he's supposed to. I feel like that just sums up his character so much because he doesn't want to go in the house. Like you feel he doesn't want right. to go home and he right. still does it because that's what he's supposed to do. And he fucks shit up there. Right. And like, there's even moments where it's like, are, are, are you talking to us? Or are you talking to yourself when he's like, you know, I'm a goddamn professional. Like, you don't, you don't go into work stinking. Like, and he's talking about taking a shower and getting ready and going into the house. And it's like that whole thing. It's almost like he's, he's, um, trying to make himself be like robotic because he doesn't want to do anything he's doing. Mm. It was, I don't know. It was just, it was, it was, a um, probably the, most interesting scene in the movie outside of the bizarre interaction between Peter Falk and that older lady. Um, That was a weird scene. Peter Falk played that scene so well. Uh, But yeah. I I mean, (laughs) at the risk of sounding, uh, I don't know, like a Philistine, can someone explain that scene to me? Like, (laughs) like what was happening in that scene? Like he like comes on to her and then like, she kind of reciprocates and he does he does he become dis, kind of disgusted with himself when she reciprocates his attention is that what what's happening there i think yes i think he okay. approached a woman that he was hoping would reject him he wanted to approach a woman but he was never going to approach a woman he wanted to be with because i think the rejection would have been too much of a blow to his ego and okay. he went into the scenario like with so much confidence because like i know how this is going to unfold like, I think that's so much of, like, the the kind of setup of the movie is, like, people are, like, I'm going to do this, and I, I can predict how it's going to happen, and if it doesn't go that way, like, it, it's so jarring. Right. Um, it's, like, I think it's such a, it's, like, one of the weirdest scenes in, like, American cinema. Like, that, <laughs> act, I, she's, I don't even think she's an actress. She apparently has been in movies, but she's not really an actress. I think this is her first speaking role in, like, 20 years of, like, a career. She's just so... She's bizarre, like very like off-putting, but in an appealing kind of way. Yeah. Her- well, I mean, the whole scene was like a dream sequence, honestly. It yeah. was just a really bizarre exchange. And and I mean, yeah, I read the scene the same way um, as you, Justine. Like I read it as in he he didn't expect that to go the way it did. But as soon as it did, I think it was a mixture of shame and a mixture of of being disgusted with himself, like uh, obviously that self loathing that basically stayed at its at the like you know the top the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, you know I, just to go down a little rabbit trail here, you know I, I you know obviously to be you know a, a lover of you know movies uh, necessitates you know watching a lot of old stuff and kind of thinking about uh you know like uh the morals of the past and stuff and you know i'm often shocked by how uh not progressive but how um you know there's this there's this um me and my wife joke around about this about how there's like like we'll be watching an old movie and and she'll say you know we'll be watching like a movie with like a great barbara stanwick performance or you know i don't know fill in the blank and she'll be like yeah you know it's a real shame that uh good roles for uh for women in movies just started with captain marvel a few years ago you know and uh (laughs) you you know it's 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 uh it's something that i find myself like uh you know and like i was thinking about the scene where where you were talking about john where he was like everybody you know you know hits their wife around or bounces their wife around the house you know and and i was thinking about like 
you know, if there was a scene like that in like the 40s, the 30s, 40s, or, you know, 50s, I feel like there would be like, you know, it would be kind of acknowledged that someone slapping their wife was bad. You know what I mean? Like I've seen enough like old Hollywood movies to like, you know, those movies are not condoning that bad behavior. It may occur, but like when James Cagney throw, puts the grapefruit into his, you know, girlfriend's face or whatever, that's not like cool and fun in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. but the seventies were like this weird time. And I think, I don't know if it has something to do with like sexual revolution or something, but the seventies were like this weird time where like people could like literally like hit their wives, you know, spousal abuse and, you know, even like sexual assault or, you know, was completely normalized. Like I know in Saturday night fever, there is a scene where like the main character like rapes his girlfriend and then everybody just kind of moves on, you know, it's never acknowledged. It's never even addressed as like a bad thing. And I don't know, this is something I literally am thinking of just kind of on the fly. And as I was watching husbands, does anybody, I don't know anybody does, any, does does that make sense to anybody like yeah i mean i think you're right I, I love the comparison to public enemy because yeah it's a scene that when i first watched that movie is shocking um because i do think that the film is kind of condemning him in the way that it's structured whereas yeah here it's shocking in a different way right i think that there's something happened in the late 60s where they kind of are like we are going to move away from morality and we're going right. to be kind of uh objective which obviously we know you can't be sure and i think that if, if you look at cassavetti's films there's so little moral judgment there's character yeah. judgment which i think is different and for whatever reason uh we can we can guess i don't think that cassavetti's necessarily like I like I don't want to like say that he doesn't see hitting your wife as morally problematic or char- a character flaw. Right. Um, I do think Harry is the most uh, reprehensible character from his point of view for a variety of reasons, and a lot of them have to do with the fact that um, I think that one of the things that Cassavetes, as a director and as a performer, respects are people who are willing to embarrass themselves or humiliate themselves to to feel something or to kind of live a more true life. And clearly Harry is not that kind of person. He does not like to be embarrassed. He does not like to be humiliated. Right. And he will do anything to kind of like maintain his, um, his authority. And I mean, in that sense, you can see that he might, the, the scene is disturbing in the sense that he's willing to like slap around his wife to kind of keep her in check and to kind of keep his life in check. But I see that I see the film kind of condemns that more than like the actual spousal abuse, which right. is it like it's 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 like I'm like oh I'm like I don't want to apologize for the film in that sense, but it is interesting and it is dark, and I right. think a lot of '70s filmmakers did that. Yeah, I, I guess. Well, I, I'm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Well, just real quick, uh, two things. I know Faces was in 1968, but I'm going to lump it in. Uh, I feel like Cassavetti's you know, kind of adding on to what you said, Justine, I feel like he's pretty ambiguous in his films with how he feels about not just spousal abuse, but sexism and uh, misogyny. Like, I feel like he's pretty like there's never like the, the beginning of faces comes to mind, as we discussed on our other episode, uh, where he's making those comments to the woman that works for him and stuff. And it's like it's never like there's never a point of condemnation for that. 
Right. So whenever you have scenes out of husbands or like a woman under the influence or even opening night, uh, there's and, and killing of a Chinese bookie. He owns a club. I mean, there's a lot of exploitation and all that, that I feel Cassavetes was ambiguous on purpose about. But the second point is it was the seventies. And I don't know if I'm well versed enough in the seventies to kind of really be able to know for sure. But I feel like, movies where they beat their wife or they beat their kids was just an accepted thing. Right. Like how many movies from the seventies have we watched where like the dad takes his belt off and just beats the shit out of the kid. And then the mom tries to stop him and then he hits the mom too. And it's like, Oh, well they're just angry. They're just, uh, they're pissed off Catholics. They got to work hard. They come home. They just want a warm meal. If not, they crack you one. Like, that's how I feel the entire 70s operated. Right. I'm wondering if it's like a response, though, because, yeah, I, I watch a lot of classic Hollywood films. And for the most part, either it's played off as slapstick to the point where it's like you can't take it seriously as like abuse. Right, or right. it is like coded as like obviously abusive as in like public enemy. Um, but I, I kind of get the impression, like even like based on my parents who grew who kind of like were teens in the 70s and in their 20s um so their parents were like the previous generation like they grew up with a lot of like like not necessarily my parents in physical abuse but there was a lot of like fucked up shit in their childhoods um and i imagine like my impression of a lot of these filmmakers is even if their own family unit was not abusive they saw a lot of violence around them sure and i think maybe as a response to the movies that they were watching where all of that was kind of softened or completely erased they're like no this is this is part of my reality this is the world that i grew up in and this is the world and the people and the things that i saw and it's not right or wrong because if it's seen from like the eyes of a child or a teen it's like you don't have that kind of moral like moral compass really to evaluate and you're just like it i think it it obviously had a huge mark on that generation for one reason or another to kind of be able to like speak out, not even against it because like, that's kind of what we're talking about, but to be like, yeah, this is, this is what happened or this is what happens in the world. And to pretend it doesn't is disingenuous. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, maybe, you know, movies from like the classical Hollywood era, you know, thirties through the fifties, you know, were, uh, were kind of moralizing by nature. And even today, uh, you know, for better and worse, I feel like we have gotten to that point where the discourse is maybe more moralizing than it used to be. But in between there, there was this kind of period where it was, uh, no, this is gritty. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm not moralizing about this because this is gritty, true life, you know? But yeah, I don't know. That's that's a sidetrack. But it just made me think about it because I feel like there is this misconception that there's like that there's an arc to this kind of thing, that things started out really bad and say the year 1900 and got progressively better, you know, every year until the year 2021. And it's you know, it's not quite that, you know what I mean? It's a little more complicated than that, especially when you watch a lot of, you know, old Hollywood movies, they, you know, can feel more progressive than you you think or you you know you or maybe that people have the misconception of these days you know um real quick uh while we're on the subject of abuse um at the end of the this is might be unpopular at the end of the movie when uh i forgot the character's name you all know what i'm talking about when he walks up his driveway 
and you hear his son say, oh, mom's going to kill you. And he's like, mom's dad's home. And he's like, mom, hurry up. Like, cause he just wants to see his dad get like chewed out. Cause he knows how pissed his mom is. <laughs> I would have slapped the shit out of that kid. <laughs> like, cause like, I'm sorry. It's the seventies. You could get away with that shit. I'm not joking. I mean, I like that ending is so good on so many levels. And like just reading about it because uh, Cassavetes was mad that people thought it was like a sad ending. And he's like, no, it's amazing. He's like, if if your wife is mad at you, that means she cares about you. And like, that's, I think, like the kind of like, I also like, uh, we were, I'm coming from a Greek family. And like, there's like, that's a huge thing. Like, if you're not screaming at the other person, sometimes it's kind of like you lose, you think that the other person doesn't care. And I think that's mm-hmm. definitely like the mode that John Cassavetes is often operating in. If the wife wasn't upset and was like, oh, I'm so happy you're home. I think that for him would have been a very like dark ending. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely agree with that. Um, and, and I loved the ending. I loved like when they were asking, you know, what's he going to do without it? So it was it was a very emotional. I didn't find it to be um, depressing. Uh, the biggest thing is the kid just pissed me off. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that Nick? Is that Nick Cassavetti? Because I think it's his kids. It is. It is Nick. Be. It is Nick. Yeah. Oh well, <laughs> strike against Nick. I can't, I can't vouch for his. I can't vouch for his movies anymore. Because they were like, we didn't script any of that. I just told my kid to start screaming nonsense. Gave a little snitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So we've we've talked husbands uh, to death. I feel like. Um, uh, I do, before we move on to the second movie that we were going to talk about, Killing of a Chinese Book, I do want to pause uh, and just mention A Woman Under the Influence really quick um, from 1974. This is, uh, most people would say this is probably his best movie, and I would say probably most famous movie as well. Um, any stray thoughts on Woman Under the Influence? I mean, because Killing of a Chinese Book, he was you know, a product of him kind of being able to do what he wanted to do after the... I mean, relative success of uh, of Woman Under the Influence, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think uh, he rode the goodwill of the reception of a Woman Under Influence for a while until it just stopped. Um, I, I really like the film, but I think I haven't watched it in a while. Um, and rewatching Opening Night, I, I always forget how difficult in a good way it is to, to watch Gina Rollins. Mm-hmm. She's just on such an such a level of vulnerability that I almost feel uncomfortable like looking at her. Right. And a woman under influence is just like, is, is even more untethered than opening night. I I find it very difficult. And I find that's like the highest compliment I can give to the movie um, is that it, it, it causes me like physical pain to watch. So I don't watch it. I have, I didn't want to watch it again. And, um, I think I like I need to like boost myself up before I can go back and, <laughs> and see it, um, which I feel like I'm sure that as an actor is like maybe the highest thing you could say. Just like, yeah, I mean, give 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 singing in the rain a couple of watches before you uh, <laughs> exactly. Into, uh, Gina Rollins, yeah, I mean, I think um, you know I, I completely agree with you. I mean, as in regards to Gina Rollins, but Peter Falk also in that movie is. I mean, he takes his husband's character to new heights, you know, it's, yeah. it's you know, the, a man crippled by his the inability to even really communicate with, I mean, well, with anybody, but especially with his wife. And it's, uh, 
you know, I, I would say Gina Rollins, this is going to sound insane because like, obviously opening night and woman under the influence are like, you know, really kind of stratospheric, you know, vulnerable, uncomfortable performances, but Gina Rollins in faces like was kind of refreshing because I was like, Oh, she's so beautiful and charming. Like it reminded me of like, you know, Oh yeah. Like she's, she doesn't just play crazy people. Like she's a beautiful, charming actress, yeah. you know, uh, which is kind of the role she gets to play in faces. Um, I mean, even reading that part of the book, I can't remember specifics. Uh, I can't remember why they were talking about it, but like, when John Cassavetes was with Gina Rollins, especially in the 50s and 60s, it's like he got so much goodwill on just the fact that like producers and men just wanted to be in her presence because she's so stunning. Right. Um, which is 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 like not that it's difficult to imagine because like she's on screen and you can see it. But um, there, I think that kind of plays into opening night as well. It's just like this like this person with such magnetism and who's also again, willing to embarrass herself for that, I think is, is somehow so affecting. Right. Yeah, no, that was that. Yeah. That was my reaction. At all. Cause, cause like I literally was watching faces and you know, a lot, a lot of people are going crazy in faces, but she is not necessarily one of them. She's almost like a stabilizing presence in that movie. And I, I like, I was just kind of like, like, Oh yeah. Like she, she was like, like kind of a more traditional movie star in the sense that like most, you know, like uh, women movie stars have to be like beautiful and charming and, you know, and that's uh, like, that was her as well as, as as well as these like unhinged, you know, really kind of naked performances. Um, John, what did you, what do you, what do you, uh, any thoughts on woman under the influence? I know you've seen it, but I don't know. Uh, is it recently? Yeah, I mean, or? I rewatched it like, three months ago when we were getting ready for an episode we didn't do on seventies movies. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I rewatched it for the first time in years and I put in the same category as faces. Like she is amazing, mm -hmm. but the movie is unpleasant. Yeah. I don't like witnessing like the deterioration of a person's psyche and a relationship and a family. Right. Like it is, it is a pretty, um, it's a pretty dark, route to go which is why i i think husbands is the better movie right. um but it also could just be because of my sensibilities yeah but i mean i i i would i i can see myself watching husbands once every couple of years but i can see myself watching woman under the influence once every like 10 years right i mean so it's it's uh it's a great movie but it, there's definitely like movies in front of it and and honestly referencing opening night i feel like it's the same thing like she is amazing but and when we get to it i'll kind of go deeper into this but the performance is really what makes that movie stand up because it's such a dark movie once again it's the breaking down of a person mentally like it's a pretty dark avenue so yeah i mean i think i mean doing these movies back to back husbands and then well not in back to back but um you know, kind of within four years of each other and woman under the influence. It's striking to me because I mean, I think the three actors and husbands and, and of course, Peter Falk and uh, Gina Rollins in woman of the influence, you know, all five of those performances are done by really charming actors, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like really kind of fetching, you know, attractive, uh, very charming, very personable 
you know, people and they are just kind of like stripped fucking bare on the screen, which is, you know, it, that's why it made me think of Mikey and Nikki. Cause I was like, you know, can I just watch Mikey and Nikki? Can I just watch Cassavetes <laughs> and Peter Falk kind of like fuck around and be friends, you know? Um, but anyways, um, so let's, let's transition into killing of a Chinese book. I think this is my favorite uh, Cassavetes. Uh, this is just my personal favorite just because I mean, it's a film noir, you know, crime, uh, just kind of the CD atmosphere is just, uh, it's just right up my alley. This is the closest thing I think Cassavetes uh, w- would ever get to a Vibes movie, uh, which are my favorite kind of movies. Um, Justine, what about uh, what about Killing of a Chinese Bookie? What uh, what did the uh, the tome say about it? Um, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, this is the movie that is inspired by an idea that Martin Scorsese gave him. Um, and even the book kind of talks about the fact that there were rumors for a long time that this was actually going to be directed by Scorsese, which apparently just was not true. He was going to direct a different Cassavetes inspired project that never happened. Mm. Um, and it's basically as the, a, a guy who owns a, a, a club, it's kind of between a strip club and a club club, uh, likes to gamble, uh, owes a bit too much money and, inadvertently um, gets caught up in murder when he strikes up a deal to pay off his debt um, through this act of violence that uh, spirals out of control, uh, starring Ben Gazzara as, as the club owner. Yeah. So what did you, what did you think about this movie? Was this, is this uh, near the top of, of Cassavetes for you or no? I would say, yeah. I mean, like I, like if it isn't clear, like I think that Ben Gazzara as kind of like a foil to Cassavetes works so incredibly well. I think he just vibes so well with what Cassavetes is trying to do. Mm. And as an actor, he has this duality where you kind of feel like two performances happening at once where you have the, the, the self that he wants to project to the world. And this is a, like, when you say this is a vibes movie, like this is a guy who just wants to vibe, you know, he's like, he wants to have his club and do his art. He likes to gamble. Um, and he's apparently not very good at it, but he enjoys that. And he enjoys the performance of it, bringing the, like these beautiful women with him for no apparent reason, which you can kind of see that it's, it's out of place because the people are looking at them and like, they're not like, Oh, look at these beautiful women. They're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you kind of have this, like, he he's not really reading the room or reading the like perceptions of those around him or the gravity of a lot of these situations. Hey, and he's yet not, re- he, not reading the world, I think is. Yeah. He's living in a fantasy. He really, mm. he cares so much about what people think, but is so bad at reading what they really think about him. Mm-hmm. And there's like a tragedy to that. And I mean, to me, this movie is like, this would be the vibes like the the cool vibes version of like uncut gems right. <laughs> like they're very similar except like uncut gems like will give you a heart attack and this movie is like strangely slow paced I, I love it like i think it's i chose the i chose the three cassavetes movies that to me are probably my favorite um so that that's why i, I think it's just i think it's a great film i love the the red notes i love the performances i love the girls i think like, even when we're talking about, like, what does Cassavetes think about women around him? I think the fact that he gives so much space for characters who are not played by actors or even have, like, a significant role in the plot because he clearly doesn't care about it. So much space to be people is is so fascinating. 
And I find this movie so watchable because there's so much going on and there's so many people and there is no emotional breakdown. So it's kind of like the fun movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I like what you said about Gazera and how, you know, a lot of these a lot of the Cassavetes movies are, you know, of course, performance, uh, performance led or or performance oriented. And uh, Gazera, I feel like is a uh, he is like a, a cold glass of water being like poured on the Cassavetes flame, you know, like he. He, he, he kind of mel- even the husbands, I feel like he mellows things out. Obviously, he has bursts of violence in that movie, but like his uh, his vibe and his like persona is less, you know, kind of manic than some of the other characters. And he just uh, he seems he, he just kind of brings like a chill to the proceedings. Like I can't imagine any of the other Cassavetes regulars in a role like this, you know, Um I don't know, John, what do you think about uh, this movie? I really loved it. Um, Just real quick, since we mentioned Uncut Gems, I have to say, I thought that uh, the whole time I was watching this, especially certain scenes, there's no way the Safdie brothers aren't huge fans of Cassavetes. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, because there's so much of their style. I was thinking of uh, a good time when I was watching this movie in terms of the chaos and the style Mm-hmm. Uh, which honestly color. I yeah the color too and I got it I got the same thing from husbands there's a lot of chaotic scenes with people talking over each other and that's like the Safety brothers wheelhouse so I, I I have to imagine they're big fans um this movie was great uh I I'm not a club person um but if I was I wouldn't go to that club because the guy <laughs> that sings is nightmare fuel um <laughs> He's just this big sweaty monstrosity in makeup singing songs on a stage. It was frightening. There's something but very loved... Fellini esque about that character. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like he, he's more, and and then it even gets like kind of nailed down towards the end of the movie when he kind of goes off talking about his role because it's like you really are the sad clown. Mm-hmm. Like. You're the slat, sad clown singing for naked women in this club. Yeah. Uh, Apparently so, it's inspired by uh, the Blue Angel, that the whole character is supposed to be oh, like um, the oh, man, Emil Yanin's character in that. So he like, that's like the, because it's not an, the guy's not an actor. I think he's a screenwriter. Um, mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, you're going like in the rare time that I guess Cassavetes gives direction is like, we are going to be this character from the blue angel and that's your backstory and work with that. And you do feel it. It's like the, the patheticness of that person is like, again, it's, it's like one of the, it, it, this is the easiest to watch, but he, watching him is difficult. Um, and not just because it's kind of cringy it's because like, you feel like this deep well of, of like just pathetic, just patheticness, which is something you don't like to see in a movie. Well, I was, yeah, uh, because, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. No, I'm just going to say, it's like, I feel like every time he was on stage and the camera like would, would go to him and linger on him. It's like, this guy knows he's made some mistakes in life. Like (laughs) this, this guy knows this is not the place he should be at this point in his life. So yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, uh, he's like at that one point, at one point he's like worried, like, I'm worried that they're just here for the tits. And it's like, oh boy, uh, I got some bad news for (laughs) you, my guy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't I don't think they're here for you. I yeah. mean, I, did, did you think that? Um, well, he, what is he seems like? He's like he's like some he, he like talks about people thinking of him as a freak, but in a way that he's like, 
but of course I'm not right. like, it's like <laughs> this, like, and this is what people think, but they're wrong. And then like, everyone is kind of laughing at him, but like also surprisingly gentle, like no one, mm-hmm. no one, none of one in the club, like even if they're laughing at him, it's always very gentle and warm in a way that is kind of unexpected. Well, you know, I, I read that this is kind of a, that this, this character is kind of a little, um, and I don't know if this is something Cassavetti said in an interview one time. I, I wasn't able to track that down. But I, multiple critics have said this is kind of like a, a self-parody of Cassavetti's himself. Um, that it, it was kind of like, uh, especially because the movie ends with um, him saying, you know, like wanting people to love him. And like one of the dancers is like, we love you. And then like the movie ends, you know, and um <laughs> Which is kind of like, uh, you know, supposed to be Cassavetti's wanting the audience's approval, but, you know, which which, it, which I think fits because, I mean, Killing of a Chinese Bookie is certainly his most audience-friendly work, you know. Um, but, yeah, I don't know how true that is or if – like I said, I don't even know if he said that in an interview or if that's just something critics have picked up on. Um, I mean, I didn't stumble across it, but um, Cassavetti's is – for someone to me, this is like a very classic situation where he's often talking about how he doesn't care about the audience and how much he thinks the audience is stupid and all mm-hmm. these things. And I'm like, everyone, if you if you really don't care about the audience, you you don't like you don't spend so much time talking about how much you hate them or how much they're wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like he's very pre- like I don't blame him for being preoccupied. We're all preoccupied. He's trying to make money to make more movies. Of course, he wants the audience to like him. Right. And he's proud of his films. Like, so I think that on that sense, he's not insecure that the movies aren't good. He's just, conf- I think he's, I think he's genuinely confused why people are not watching his movies. And I think he does want to be loved because he's like, don't you see what I've done? Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, we'll get into this later, you know, kind of when we sum up his career, but yeah, he strikes me as more of like a, theater kid not in the not in the you know maybe modern parlance of kind of like a glee character but like a theater kid who you know like orson wells you know who's really passionate really cares about the audience and you know kind of wants them to uh to embrace his his genius or whatever whereas like someone i think with true contempt for their audience is someone like alfred hitchcock who's like no i just want to make you squirm like that's mm-hmm. that, that's all I care about. I want to make you uncomfortable and want to make you confront your, you know, bizarre, you know, sexual desires of you know mid-century Western culture. You know, uh, whereas Cassavetti's no, I like I, he may say that, but it's like you, you know, thou dost protest too, protest too much. You know, like you, you clearly want to be thought of as some kind of like mad independent genius who the studios just won't give you your vision. You know. Um, Yeah, I mean, and he also does that classic thing where his movies were embraced at the time by European filmmakers and festivals. mm -hmm. And he was like, there, like, people would note on the fact that he would go to every single festival he was invited to in Europe. (laughs) And he would often like, conversely, like have aside from he apparently really liked the San Francisco Film Festival, he would like be like, I'm never going to play in New York again, because the audience doesn't understand me. So there's kind of this sense of like he likes the audiences who like him right. <laughs> which you know again is like as an artist you can't blame him but it's kind of this to say that he has contempt for it he only has contempt when they when he feels that they have contempt for him if right. they like him the audience is great i mean again this is like just a classic all not all directors but a lot of directors are like that 
No, but I think it's an important thing to talk about too, because I mean, that's a big part of his artistic persona and not, not just persona, but like uh, kind of uh, catalyst, you know, or cause, or I am the American independent film. I am, I am too smart. I am too uh, gritty, too close to the realness of life for mainstream audiences to embrace me. You know I mean? That's, you know, you, you can make money off of that. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, you know, you, you can get, you can get a reputation off of that. Like, you know, it's, it's not, he, he may have been an independent filmmaker, but he wasn't working at target, you know, like he was yeah, for sure. clearly making a living off of this. Well, um, it's also a lot of his movies are about per- literally about performance or in front of different kinds of audiences, even if it's not like a formal audience, it's audiences of society or people. I mean, even husbands, it often feels like they're a three man show performing for the world that doesn't understand their art, which is, I don't know, male friendship or male tensions. Right. Well, speaking of performance, let's move into the, uh, the last movie. Well, uh, real quick, before we jump into opening night, I wanted to say uh, when I was just doing some reading about Cassavetes, uh, his final movie was called Big Trouble. And apparently he hated it. Uh, I don't know if you've gotten to this part in the book, Justine, about, I don't know if you could shed some light on it a little more, but apparently it was, he wasn't happy with the cut. And the reason I wanted to bring it up is because with Killing of a Chinese Bookie, we kind of get this noir crime thriller movie. And with with this movie starring Alan Arkin and Peter Falk, I believe, it's basically a double indemnity. And apparently he wasn't happy because he didn't get his version out and it was so close to it that it came off as more of a spoof. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't I, seen I, it. Um, so that's I haven't really- seen it in years. I just, I, I came across it and I was like, well, that's really bizarre. Yeah. I haven't got to that part though. I will point that um, all of his films get their own chapter, but um, the last chapter is, there's love streams. And the last chapter is the final years. So big trouble does not get its own chapter. So oh, okay. I think it's a, uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> well, well, speaking of, of cuts, I mean, let's, uh, w- which version of this movie did you guys watch? I completely forgot to mention that. Um, Cause there's two versions. There's the initial version, which was like a little over two hours. And uh, from what I understand, and Justin, you can correct me if I've got some of the details wrong here, but um, uh, from what I understand, Ben Gazzara was like, this fucking sucks. Like it's too long and it's too, you know, ambling and whatever. And so then Cassavetes himself went back and cut it back a half hour, which I don't think I've ever seen that where the director's cut is like a half hour shorter than the original cut. Um, Yeah. There's a few, there's a few, uh, I think there's like one other director's cut, but I can't think of it. But I remember recently ish in the past 10 years, I think something came out and people were like, Oh, the only other one is the, Killing of a Chinese Bookie. This time I watched the shorter version, which apparently, which is the director's cut, which is the one that Cassavetes redid. Um, I have seen both. I actually like both versions. Um, I like the longer, the the differences, like a lot of it is in the performances Mm -hmm. um, on the stage. I do like those long, I like to kind of see how they unfold. I do find that Cassavetes cut um, kind of flows a little better but even if you look at husbands like i don't mind seeing these kind of like overextended scenes even if they kind of are sometimes a bit uncomfortable which i think in uh killing of a chinese bookie the longer version is a bit more uncomfortable to watch right john which version did you watch 
Well, they have. It's funny you brought that up. They have both cu- uh, cuts on HBO Max. Yeah. So on Reflex, I went to watch the longer cut. But as y'all have pointed out, it's the opposite of what it typically is. So then I backed off and I was like, oh, well, the director's cut is shorter than the original cut. So I guess I'll watch that. So I watched the one that was an hour and 48 minutes. I don't know if the first time I watched this movie years ago, I watched, I could have watched the longer version, mm-hmm. but I think it's really bizarre that the director's cuts half hour shorter. Like that's just really, especially if, cause I don't know the ins and outs of it. So if Cassavetes was kind of happy with that cut, that means an actor kind of influenced the length of the film, which I think is interesting as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have like my my memory is foggy, even though I literally read this yesterday. Um, I think it's like I think there was a period of time between the two cuts. Yeah. Um. So there was a release of the original theatrical cut, and there maybe a year or two later, Cassavetes redid it for some reason. But I, I like I wish I remember the details. Just everything's a haze. Yeah, from what I read, it was it was Gazera who who like and that it, that Cassavetes was kind of like you know what you're right like I did intend to make a you know 90 minute like crime movie you know so it was like um you know i i he basically was like i didn't want this to be as kind of digressive as some of my other works mm-hmm. um it's which... just funny especially thinking like from what i can tell the version of husbands he likes the best is another version no one ever saw which was the three hour and a half three and a half hour version Oof. like for someone who's gonna do that Right. Um, for to also be like, yeah, I'm also going to cut half an hour from this. It, it just feels like, who is this person? Right. Um, I think that's a compliment. It's just like, it's so impulsive. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's also when you start thinking about noirs, like you don't want, especially if, if, if the lead actor was saying it, what you don't want in a noir is a two and a half hour movie that kind of slogs along is mm-hmm. the opposite of a noir at that point. Yeah. Like, so I, I can definitely see, you know, why they made the change. I am curious to see what all was added in. Cause I, I don't remember if, if I watched the other cut the first time. So I really point, think a lot of them, it. a lot of it is like strip teases longer, just okay. like longer. I don't think there's that much else aside from ex- like just lengthening the stage shows. Um, I think there's like one or two other parts and I think they rearrange maybe a few scenes as well. Yeah, and can I speaking of striptease, can I just shout out the the very 70s kind of mode of just having like like I feel like nowadays like every like nude scene is like weirdly more objectifying because it's like you know, it's like very like delicately shot and it's very just kind of like voyeuristic and like look, see Allison Bree's tits are in this first episode of Glow like Mm-hmm. look doesn't that make you want to watch it whereas this it's just like no oh, there's just a bunch of naked women running around it's a burlesque yeah. show like what do you want well, I, also, you know? I also think it's like reading i was actually kind of surprised not surprised i was fascinated because cassavetes apparently does not like nudity very much in his films mm. and he was very apprehensive and he didn't he would he would constantly ask the actors and the actresses what their level of comfort was and so that's even why you have some of the strip teases don't involve any real nudity or very little of it, because he basically like, if you don't want to take off your clothes, just don't do it, please. Right. Like, and that was a large part of it. And I think there's a moment where someone in the audience like says something like, oh, like, um, what kind of strip show is this? They don't even take off their clothes. And that was kind of like Cassavetti's workaround to the fact that 
for a strip club, there wasn't that much stripping. Right. Um, That's interesting. Okay, so opening night. You know, Justine, take it away with opening night. I, I this movie, <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> it, it just. Uh, that's all I'll say, Justine. Just go, just go for it. I, I I don't ride very hard for this movie, but uh, yeah, tell us about opening night and what you thought of it. Uh, opening night stars Gina Rollins as an actress who is starring in what is I I guess an off Broadway show that's going to go to Broadway later. I don't really okay, so I'm bad at explaining things. I'm going to restart. Uh, Gina (laughs) Rollins is an actress who is starring in a play. And then um, during one of the um, public rehearsals, I guess, um, a young fan, a 17 year old girl gets hit by a car and it kind of colors the whole thing. Um, It's a very weird movie uh, because you have two kind of narratives. You have one about an actress who does not want to be growing older and does not like the idea that she has to play an old lady now. Um, And you also have this second story, which is also about the same character through Jeannie Rollins, where she is having visions of her former self, um, which is also this young girl who uh, dies in the opening sequence uh, in a car accident. Um, So most of it is just rehearsals. A lot of it is rehearsals and Gina Rowland's character refusing to do rehearsals. Um, <laughs> and you said this is one of your favorites? You know what? I I I always liked it. And re-watching it, I forgot how weird and how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I like it more now than I used to. Um, I forgot I forgot the whole thing about the young girl. Um, and I, I was kind of shocked uh, in the car accident early on in the film, which I don't think... Not that I care about spoilers. I don't think it's a spoiler. Right. It right. happens so early on. Um, it's a very difficult film. I don't know why I used to like it. Because I, I realize that what it hits me now, I'm like, oh, I, I kind of connect with this idea of like going into a new stage of your life and just not, not wanting to do it. Like the whole, if you have, talk about like the hero's journey, not that his films have those kind of plot points. It's like this movie is basically caught in the first like quarter of that circle of an, a person who's like, I am going to refuse my destiny. And that destiny is like, we all grow older and die. Right. John, what'd you think about this? What'd you, what, what did you think about opening? I am her performance was miles ahead of the movie. Like she was great. She kept me wanting to watch it, but the movie meandered quite a bit and I wasn't really invested in anything going on. Uh, at honestly, I was thinking, just cancel the fucking show. She's not worth it. Uh, what the fuck? She, especially like in the, you know, at the at basically the end of the movie, the whole third act is is fucking chaotic. But at the end of the movie, when she's just, you know, no, she's an alcoholic. I don't think it's a spoiler to say she was just fucking loaded. And I love how the janitor or not janitor, the stagehand or whatever was like, I've, I've seen a lot of people drink. But I, I commend you. I've never seen anybody drink as much as you and still be functioning. <laughs> it's like, what? What? Why are you patting her on the back for this clear problem that she has? Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was definitely my least favorite of the uh, of the bunch. Honestly, uh, it was. I'm not going to say it was bad. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I feel like that's a pretty diplomatic answer. 
you know, I, I I'll, I'll say this, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of unload a couple of uh, controversial Cassavetti's opinions, and I I think you know part of part of why we like doing director episodes on this podcast is because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of directors and a lot of you know well directors and cinematic artists who deserve to be legends right they deserve to be their, their you know vaunted status in the canon of western film or whatever and deserve to be in the criterion collection and all that but who's kind of general artistic project it's okay to criticize right and i think one of the primary examples of this and this is something we talked about way back in one of our first episodes um which is alfred hitchcock alfred hitchcock is probably you know his his style is synonymous with american cinema you know and it's he is you know deserves to be respected and he deserves his place but i will forever kind of remain suspicious of him as an artist because of like his primary goal of making audiences like squirm and uncomfortable and i think that is maybe a suspicious uh, kind of a uh, statement of intent as an artist. Whereas I don't have that same suspicion or same critique of someone like Jean Renoir. And I think that's kind of where I land with Cassavetes. Like, I do think he's a genius on some level. I do think he's, um, you know, uh, like a really great filmmaker, but I'm also like, you know, and I'm going to borrow a couple of quotes from one of my favorite film writers, David Thompson, uh, who we, we return to uh, quite a bit on this podcast. But uh, he says, American independent can be a large contradiction in terms. Sooner or later, making movies is getting down in the dirt of money and crowds. And I, I like that quote because it's kind of like, I don't know, man. Cassavetes, it's like, well, okay, you you too good for the same studio system that, you know, produced John Ford and Howard Hawks and, you know, which is not to say that you have to work within the, you know, whatever studio system you're engaged in, obviously, but, you know, to be so kind of self-consciously above it all, uh, I think is a bit, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, And a couple more quotes, I think, that are really good here. You know, he's talking about Cassavetes' treatment of actors. He directs, uh, uh, sorry, actually he's talking about John Sayles. He says, John Sayles gets better performances from his actors than Cassavetes, which I don't, I don't know if that's true, but, um, and he says it's because he directs them. He knows what they should do as a director, whereas Cassavetes indulges them. He invites them in and waits to see what they will do. He treats them like adorable pets, and we sometimes feel as if they were his vacation snapshots. And then following up, he writes about uh, Gina Rollins and Woman Under the Influence. She's so moving and so pathetic, yet I'm not sure her part actually deserves a movie or even is a movie. Doesn't it seem more like an endless actor's improvisation? Then consider that Cassavetes wrote and contrived such things. He created things. Now, this is me saying it, not this is the end of the David Thompson quote, but he created things that felt like rehearsals felt like, you know, two and a half hour long actor improvisations. And I just, you know, I I just don't love him. You know, I respect him. I genuflect, you know, whatever, you know, all, all due respect, but this is, he's never going to be someone who's like one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, 
with all this. So anyways, those are my controversial takes. Some, someone come at me and, and, and tell me I'm wrong. I mean, I don't necessarily think you're wrong because it's, um, I think that those are all accurate summations of what he does. And I kind of listening to you, it's like, if I wasn't also curious about how these films were made or John Cassavetes as a person who was a very difficult human being in a lot of ways and who was, uh, what's that word? Um, not, uh, like he liked like I said, I used provocative, like a provocateur before, but it's like he wanted often to be in contradiction with everything, a devil's right. advocate. And that was his personality. The films reflect, according to almost everyone, um, his ethos for living, where he always wanted to be on the edge. He was a gambler. Um, he hated fakery and he hated what he saw as artificial performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the films themselves are kind of a reflection of, yeah, they are rehearsals. <laughs> like, it's like, right. that's the thing that I, I find so appealing about them. But I also see the the artifice in that as well. It's not necessarily more noble than another film. It's just, it's a process for trying to discover um, the self. And I think that right. ultimately, like... Cassavetes as a person and Cassavetes characters are people who feel a sense of alienation and through this kind of like course they're kind of looking for something and but they never find it and I think that's kind of the the moment of frustration as well Um, because they're he's unable to find it and they are so it's there is a sense of like what is not what's the point because I think you respect and are happy that they exist but there's something frustrating in that tension right of like well, what's, why did you make this movie if you, you're you just showing someone's journey and we only get like 1% of that because he shot so much, right? He's shooting right. like 300 hours. So we're seeing uh, two hours of that. That's not necessarily a reflection of all of that work that for him was important, mm. right? It's like for him, I think that a lot of the process was the making of it was almost more important than the final product. Uh, right. And then you're like, why didn't you just do a play? <laughs> <Like I'm- laughs> and so, he, so he ended up making a movie about a play, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know, John. What do you think? What do you think about all this? I mean, I like his movies, and I love his style. Like, I do like that really close-up, personal camera work that he does. But he's a little too chaotic at times. A little, he meanders a little too much. I do have a problem with artists who think they're too good for the system that they work in. Mm. And a pet peeve of mine is if you're an artist and you only go places you're accepted, then like I, that's very suspect. Like <laughs> you can't say I'm not going to go here because I'm not going to play that anymore. Cause you know, they just don't get my movies. Well, it's like, you need to be prepared for this conversation. You need to be prepared, especially with the, with the somewhat polarizing films that he has a t- he had a tendency to make, you've got to be prepared for pushback and to have that conversation as an artist. Um, no one's asking you to defend your art. They're just wanting a conversation about your art. Right. So I think that's kind of a, a, a big issue for me, but he's never going to be a favorite of mine. Honestly, you know, I'm, I'm sure I would have gotten around to him at some point, but of course says he hadn't, you know, felt the way he felt about him. Uh, I don't know if I would have even watched him before now, honestly. He's just 
like you said in the beginning, he is underseen as a filmmaker. So, I mean, I'm glad that I'm familiar with his filmography, but honestly, the main reason I ever did is because of Scorsese. So, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, that, 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 you know, the thing you said when you're suspicious of directors who won't, uh, who criticize the system in which they work, it's like, there are art forms that allow for more self-expression in movies, you know, that like, you could write a novel, you know, you could write a play, you could get a play produced, you know, these are, the, these are viable art forms, you know, that are rich and then have rich traditions and so on and so forth. And there's something inherent, I think, about movies that is collaboration, you know, uh, you know, you collaborate with your crew and your actors and um, I don't know, there's something that's always going to make me bristle at the, the ultra auteurs, you know, the ones who are not just the ones who have a specific vision, but the ones who are so convinced that their specific vision clashes so much with all that is fake and phony about Hollywood. I think Kubrick is another great example. And I think Kubrick has made some of the greatest movies ever made, but there's always something that's like, you know, if you had fussed around with full metal jacket a little bit less, it would have been a better movie. I'm sorry. You know, um, I don't know. Uh, I feel like I'm trying to, to walk the line between giving him his due respect, which he does deserve and kind of just being honest about the fact that I don't know, man, something about his movies don't, don't hit home for me in the same way that, I mean, even, even Elaine May, Mikey and Nikki, you know, that I would, I would, Mikey and Nikki, I think is, uh, I would prefer to, to, to every cast of his movies I've seen. Um, but, well, uh, I mean, he's a pioneer and he does deserve respect, but it doesn't mean, you know, we, we don't, he is what he is and that's never going to change. Those movies are what they are. And uh, even if it's not your thing, you know, it's, it's, we can still recognize him for what he was despite his flaws of working within the system. Mm -hmm. Um, What about you, Justine? Would you say that, I mean, is he a go-to director or do you just find him really interesting? I mean, no, I like, I adore his films. I find him, I do find him interesting as well. I mean, to me, it's like sometimes um, I would say husbands is my favorite movie of all time. So um, I do, but it's, I I don't, I don't disagree with you guys either. I mean, it's, it's very complicated because I think that he is a, a filmmaker that is kind of working in opposition right so like i think that that's kind of like what you're talking about with suspicion it's like he is purposefully like engaging in an oppositional filmmaking style so Mm. if if there was would he make those films if he wasn't in opposition to the producers of or the studios i think that's an actually a very valuable question to ask um it would have to rewrite history but at the same time it's like he is he's literally being like this is how other people do things i'm going to do something radically different because they're wrong right and there is something off-putting about that um i think that the final results are super compelling and i think that um for better and for worse ambiguous like we've already touched on that like everything he doesn't have a, a moral point of view in a very clear sense i think he has his own moral vision and i think that that makes the films both very rich and also somewhat frustrating right because you can kind of graph your own impressions so easily onto them right um i think it's like what i love so much about them is just like 
watching watching people kind of live in a way that I still find is very artificial. I don't think that I wouldn't describe his films as naturalist, which I think maybe is weird, but there it is so performative and it does feel very theatrical. Right. Um, he just doesn't have a plot uh, necessarily. Um, I just like looking at faces. Like, like it's like, it sounds like very trite, but I, I'm just so fascinated by the, the, the people he works with. And I'm, I'm so mm-hmm. fascinated by watching the layers of kind of their thought process on screen, which I find just so like strangely poetic, um, just very beautiful. I mean, I don't, well, I, oh, go ahead, no, you can go ahead, Jacob. No, you can go ahead. I was just going to say, no, I don't think that's uh, when you said you, you like uh, just like watching faces and stuff. And you said that, you, that that sounds like simple. It's like, no, like that's like to, to me, like, I, I think like 90% of like, you know, like you can kid yourself and be like, well, I appreciate the art form on a deep level, but like really, truly deep down all of us, like 90% of, of watching movies is just wanting to see some cool shit. You yeah. know, and sometimes that involves, you know, these interesting faces and, 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 you know, but most of the time it's just like, you just want to see something cool, you know, um, that, yeah, that, for sure. that stimulates you in some way. Um, I mean, that's why I think I like classic Hollywood cinema as well, because it is so face driven and it's not mm. only beauty. It's like if we're talking about someone like John Ford, it's not like, oh, this can go into Vogue magazine or it's just interesting faces to look at. I right. and interesting bodies and motions and movements. Um, I think that that is such a huge appeal to, of cinema to me, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I um sorry. Go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say for me, like as a positive end note for Cassavetes, um, it's I, I kind of piling on with what Justine said. I do like the people he works with. And I think that's what makes a lot of his movies more interesting than I think I would typically find them. Mm-hmm. But I really appreciate his brutal honesty. Like, right. I, I, I feel like Cassavetes didn't really like, you know, going back to Justine talking about a little bit about his, his personal life and how he, how he was emotionally and how people felt around him. I really kind of feel like he kind of wears it on a sleeve and you get that through the interactions of his characters and love it or hate it. It's honest most of the time. And I think there's something commendable about that in art because you get so much fakeness within not just films, but artists in general, a lot of the time. And uh, I feel like he was pretty raw and open in the seventies when he was making these. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I really appreciate that as a whole. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're out there listening and you uh, haven't seen, which I, I think a lot of our listeners are, you know, kind of on the younger side and maybe haven't seen uh, some of these movies, or maybe you, you've never seen a Cassavetes movie at all. Um, look, this is a way to make a movie and maybe, uh, you know, maybe holds the, the key to your, a cinematic heart and uh, maybe he doesn't you know uh, who could say but he's definitely uh, worth watching I think all of these movies and just all of his movies in general I, I would never uh, recommend anybody to not watch anything that he's done um, Justine this is uh, we've taken up too much of your time but I can honestly say this is one of the best conversations we've had uh, about a director um, on this show so thank you for coming on um, do you have anything to plug uh, before we let you go uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Red Room Rantings. I post most of my articles there. Uh, I think that's it. I don't have anything like super relevant otherwise. 
But yeah, thank you so much for having me, guys. It was so fun. It was so great. It was so nice to rewatch these movies too. Yeah, it's great. We'll have to have you back for uh, for a director that uh, I don't know, maybe a little a, a little bit less serious. You know, we'll have to have you back for somebody somebody a little more fun and jovial. I would. I, I'm down. I would do it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, yeah, Justine. Um, I, I second what Jacob said. This has been a fantastic conversation. Like I, I learned something about Cassavetes and I kind of have a new uh, perspective on his work. So, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, and I actually you've kind of convinced me to read his book because it sounds awesome. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, we're just going to have you okay. read books and come on and explain them to us. OK, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Justine. Thank thanks, you. Justine.